Well, many of you will be able to quote uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, no doubt, but it's good to refresh ourselves on them. Uh, So over the weeks that we study them, I hope to be able to uh, learn together uh, the words of Exodus chapter 20. I won't make the words disappear uh, and things like that, but if we can repeat the commandments, uh, read them each week as it builds, uh, hopefully uh, that'll help us uh, to learn them. Uh, So tonight we're going to actually just do uh, the first two verses of Exodus chapter 20, which are the preamble of the commandments. So I'm going to bring the words up on the screen. Uh, Let's read these words together before uh, we turn to that place in the Bible. If you've turned there already, don't don't, don't worry about it. Um, I'm not going to ask you to close your Bibles. Uh, So let's uh, together read uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Well, each week that'll build as we go through uh, and read of the Ten Commandments. So turn to Exodus chapter 20 uh, in your Bibles. If uh, you have one of the church Bibles, that's page 77. And if you have one of the large print Bibles, uh, it's page 116, Exodus chapter 20. Now, what comes to your mind... Uh, if you think of law. Now, some of you may think of law, especially in the Bible, uh, as something negative. Perhaps you think of law as something that's a bit annoying, boring, or in the way of having a really fun life. Law stops me from doing what I really want to do. Others may be really interested in it and love law because you think law Uh, gives me clarity, and I love lists. I just love lists, and the law is like a list, and I can check it off, and I know exactly where I stand, and I know what to do. Uh, Others may think of the Bible law as a bit irrelevant. It no longer matters. That's Old Testament stuff, and Jesus has put an end to all of that, right? Well, none of those responses are the the right reaction uh, to the law in the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments. We're going to see that the the, the law, the Ten Commandments, are not boring. At least if if they are, then I've done something very wrong. They are an exciting part of the Bible, and we'll see why. We're also going to see that we can't just use these commands as some sort of checklist to make sure that I am right with God— Because we're going to see that the law is far deeper than we perhaps even realize. It shows us we need a savior. But the law also, we'll see, is not just Old Testament stuff. God is unchanging. His word is eternal. We read that in Psalm 119. And his people today see his word as absolutely relevant for how we live our lives day by day. So when you heard that we were starting a series on the Ten Commandments, what did you think? Well, let me start by saying this. God's people in the Bible, they love this stuff. Psalm 119 verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Is that how you feel about the Ten Commandments? God, yes, Ten Commandments. I love the Ten Commandments. I love this. Well, I want you to know 
that that is where we need to be headed. Because we should be able to say with the psalmist, yes, Lord, I love your law. Because we need to see that the Ten Commandments, God's uh, law in Exodus chapter 20, is good. It is good. And the reason it is good is because following God's will is true freedom. And the context of the Ten Commandments shows us this. The book of Exodus is called the book of Exodus because it's about an exodus. The exodus is from slavery in Egypt, where the Israelites were under Pharaoh, under his harsh and miserable rule. They had been slaves for hundreds of years, and they cried out to God for freedom, and God wanted to free his people. But what did God want to free them for? It was not so that he could become a new pharaoh who could make them miserable in a different kind of a way. No, God actually tells us in the book of Exodus why he frees his people. So Exodus chapter 8 and 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. And then the next chapter says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Why is God wanting them to be free? So that they may worship God. Worship of God is where freedom truly lies. And so the story of Exodus is actually in two parts. The first part is about the actual exodus from Egypt, how God freed them from the uh, uh, slavery under Pharaoh. That's chapters 1 to 18. Chapter 19 is a bit of a hinge in the book where they meet with God so that he can tell them how they now should live, that they are free. And the second half of Exodus is how to live as free people. It is not how to be more miserable than you were under Pharaoh. And so on Mount Sinai, in chapter 19, God gathers his people together to show them how to live as free people. And he gives them what are known literally as the ten words, our ten commandments. And these ten commandments are fundamental to all the other laws in the Bible. The other laws on how to live are really applications of these ten commandments in various ways. And the ten commandments do stand out. They are a separate list from all the other laws in the Bible. They were written on stone, and they were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. The key to understanding these commandments, though, is to remember the context that they're in. It is freedom from slavery. When these people are free, God tells them how to live free. And so as we look at an introduction to these Uh, commandments, we're going to see how God's people are set free to live free. So tonight we're going to just look at the first couple of verses in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We're going to dip into chapter 19 a little bit as well. And from there, we're going to see what the Ten Commandments reveal to us, what they are for, and therefore why it's important that we understand them through studying them. And the way that we're going to structure that is by thinking of four words that explain the ten words. 
And those four words are freedom, what God wants for you, failure, what we have failed to do, fulfillment, what Jesus has done for you, and future, what God will do in you. So freedom, failure, fulfillment, future. So first of all, freedom, what God wants for you. We often think of law as restriction. I'm not allowed to do what I want because I'm being told I'm not allowed. That's how often law is viewed. And the Ten Commandments mostly do begin with, you shall not. But then laws that restrict are not necessarily a bad thing. So for example, when you're driving on the motorway and there is a barrier in the middle of the road that makes sure cars don't go in the wrong, uh, wrong way on the motorway, do you complain and say, oh, for goodness sake, that barrier, it stops me going over there. I really want to go on the other side of the road. Or I really, I think it's not fair that those people are restricted and can't come towards me at 70 miles an hour. Of course we don't. We're thankful for the barrier because it stops people from causing destruction. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that all things are truly free when they work within the boundaries that God made them for. And even that's true with human things. So if you think about a train, a train is truly functioning as it should when it's on the tracks that hold it in place. A train is no good in the middle of a muddy field where it's going to get stuck. Or if you think of God's creation, a fish is only really free when it's in the water. It may long to get out of it, but once it does, it's going to die. And in fact, I mean, I can't read the minds of fish, but I'm pretty sure they don't long to go out of the water, do they? So with God's people, true freedom is found in worshipping our creator in the way that he has established. One writer says, the biblical definition of freedom is not doing whatever you want. Freedom is enjoying the benefits of doing what we should. Let me say that again. The biblical definition of freedom is not doing whatever you want. Freedom is enjoying the benefits of doing what we should. That's freedom. Now at this point, it's worth clearing something up that may be going through your mind. Uh, So therefore, can I find true freedom through obedience to God's law? As in, if I do these things, am I free? Well, the answer is no, because I'm a slave to sin. I cannot just obey the commands and then be right with God. Notice the order that Exodus is in. They are slaves, they are set free, then they can live for God. They are not given the Ten Commandments, told to try really hard, and if they do good enough, God will free them from Egypt. By his grace and mercy, he sets them free and then enables them, by giving them the law, to live how he wants them to live. We're going to see a little bit more of that when we look at failure. But they are given the law because they are God's people. They are not given the law in order to make them God's people. That's why Exodus 20 starts where the Ten Commandments are given like this. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Right there at the very start of chapter 20, he reminds them of who he is, the God who has freed them from slavery, you see? So this isn't a faraway God 
giving some arbitrary rules that must be lived by if you want to be part of my realm. This is more like uh, adoption. So if you're adopted into a family, um, you don't audition. You don't go and, uh, like the X Factor, and, and audition to be part of the house. You are adopted into the family, and then when you are in the family, you are given the rules of the house, not the other way around. But once you are part of the family, the house rules apply. That's how it's working here. The Ten Commandments are a loving father showing his children how to live best in the freedom of his kingdom. That is what God expects his people to do. And that's why they apply to Christians today, because he is our father, we are his people, and he wants us to live in his freedom. Now, the way that these laws are applied in specific situations in Israel may be different, but the Ten Commandments themselves are timeless standards that God has set. We see them repeated, uh, at least nine of them for sure, in the New Testament. The tenth one, the Sabbath, is repeated in a different way, and Jesus teaches us the depth of them most clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we live them out, we show the world that we are God's children. Indeed, that's part of their purpose. If you look at Exodus 19, uh, just look at verses 4 to 6. Listen to what God says. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If they keep God's commands, then they would be his treasured possession. This doesn't mean if you fail, you are out, because part of the law was the sacrificial system which offered atonement for failure. This is talking more about loyalty, like a marriage where the covenant is kept out of love. In fact, love is key in these commandments because Jesus summarizes the law and the prophets using love. Listen to what he says about the Ten Commandments. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of the Ten Commandments speak of how we love God and how we love one another as God's treasured possession. We are his treasured people, the ones he has called out of slavery. And the Ten Commandments show us how to love our Father and love one another as brothers and sisters. So these laws are good laws that show God's people how to live their lives in true freedom as the treasured people of God. And as we study them, we'll see why they are good and how living lives of worship according to these commands is true freedom. The devil lies to us when he says that we will be happy outside of God's law. We are lied to when we are told that these are just old-fashioned laws that just 
are designed to stop you being happy. That's a lie. Because how many people here, myself included, when we sin, are truly delighted that we disobeyed God? It's miserable, isn't it? Outside of God's will is ultimately misery. But inside God's will, there is true freedom. Because we're living how he made us to live. So the first thing we need to understand about the commandments is that they give us freedom as God's people as we live them out. They're not there to restrict us in a negative sense. They are there to free us. And we must understand that because otherwise, obedience becomes a burden and drudgery. But when we understand that this is to free us, this is for our joy, God's law becomes a delight and we can love his law. You see? However, as we will see in these commands, none of us can say that we have kept them all, as we should have. And that leads us to the second word that the Ten Commandments show us, failure, what we have failed to do. Each week that we look at the commandments, we'll see how we fail in every one of them. And this is true for all of us, for every commandment. This is not a checklist that you can say, well, okay, I've got nine out of ten. You've got none out of ten. <laughs> Let me just make that clear now. Paul writes this uh, to the Romans to, to point this out. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is God's, God's standard uh, that he sets. We have not met God's standard. We all fall short. We have all failed. We cannot Expect to be declared righteous by simply following God's list of commandments because we fail. And the reason we fail is because the problem is far deeper than we even realize. It goes into our hearts. Our heart is the problem. And Jesus highlighted this uh, throughout his ministry. Here's a couple of uh, verses that do that. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, it's in our hearts, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Mark chapter 7, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's the heart that's the problem, and so we fail to fulfill God's commands. In fact, God talks about this in Deuteronomy. Uh, in Deuteronomy, God gives the, the Ten Commandments again a second time, just before Israel are about to go into the promised land. And this is what God says. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. It's the heart that needs to be inclined in order to keep the commands of God. The problem is with the heart. And if our hearts are not right, then we're not going to keep God's law. Jesus talks about this kind of thing in the Sermon on the Mount. So, for example, murder, the command not to murder, goes, as, it, it goes deeper than just not stabbing someone. It goes into our hearts to the point where anger is murder. Or adultery goes further than just not sleeping with someone's spouse, but even our lustful looks are adultery. You see, it's deeper, it's in our, it's in our hearts. And therefore, we have failed and part of the purpose of the law is to show us that we've failed. And that's a really good thing. If we have an illness, 
It's a terrible thing if we have no idea, so it can't be treated. If we have an illness, it's a good thing that we're told what that illness is, so we can find a cure and, need, and get the help we need. And wonderfully, the help we need comes in Jesus. In the Old Testament, when someone failed, which happened to everybody, they had to make an animal sacrifice, where that animal took the place of the sinner. It would happen again and again and again and again. But every sacrifice pointed forward to Jesus, the one who was sacrificed once for all for our sins. And that leads us to our third word, which is what Jesus does with the Ten Commandments and all of the law. Fulfillment. What Jesus does for you. Jesus said these words uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus obeyed the law completely and perfectly. Now, often and rightly, we are impressed by the miracles of Jesus. How, how he, he calmed the storm with his, with, his, with his voice, how he raised the dead and healed the sick and so on. I don't think, at least from in, in my experience, and I believe it must be not just me, uh, I, I'm not convinced we're amazed enough at what possibly is the biggest miracle of all. That is the sinlessness of this man. That not one time in his entire existence from conception did Jesus even have one thought awry. He never spoke one word in, in unrighteous anger. And he had siblings, right? Not one word. He didn't do anything wrong, ever. Even as a tiny child. Nothing. Isn't that amazing? To think that a man could be that way? Jesus is. And Jesus not only obeyed every word... He also suffered the curse of the law when he dies on the cross because he died for you and for me. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 uh, says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So he took the punishment for our failure, for our failure in the law, Upon himself as he dies on the cross. He died for us. He did this as our substitute. And he could be our substitute because he obeyed. He had never done anything wrong. So salvation means that Jesus takes our failure, our punishment upon himself, and it means that all the blessings that he deserves for his obedience are showered upon us. It's amazing, isn't it? That's the gospel. He fulfills the law by obeying it because we never can. He fulfills even the curse of the law as he dies in our place. But the good news of Jesus goes even further than that. He saves us from sin, which sin is slavery, so that we can be free. And and he frees us by enabling us to live out the commands which the free person lives. And that leaves us on to our final uh, word, which is future, what God will do in you. 
Because even as Christians, although we know uh, these commands are designed to free us, we still battle to keep them, don't we? We still fight against sin in our lives. And as we look through the list of the commandments, even as Christians, we look at them and we wince and we plead again, please forgive us for our sins. Because we, even as God's people, still fail. Now, there's lots of wonderful gospel truth to understand here. One of which is, even when we fail, those sins are forgiven still by that sacrifice that Christ has made for us. But another wonderful truth to understand is that in the Old Testament, God promised his people that the law would be written upon the hearts of his people. That is, our hearts will be changed in such a way that what will flow from our lives will be God's law. And that process is ongoing. So whilst we still fail, God is working in us right now day by day renewing us so that we can become more and more like the perfect Savior Jesus who always follows the law. So our future begins now as Christians, as day by day, through the power of God's Spirit living in us, we have all that we need to live these commands. And so when we fail, we can go to the cross and ask for forgiveness, but we can get up again knowing that with the power of God in us, we are able to, uh, to keep these commands that he gives us because he's provided all that we need to do so. Because God lives in us. So we are set free not to be given a law that we're just, is just miserable because we can never keep it. We're set free and given God's spirit so that when we read the law, we can say, by God's power, I can do this. Because he lives in me. Now our lives as Christians are going to be growing. The ING is important. Growing over time until we reach glory. But God is at work in us now. So we can live for his glory. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That is not just the future as in heaven, that is right now. We are a new creation that God is working in to make us more like Jesus. So don't be miserable in reading the law. Love it because we've been forgiven for our failures and empowered to live it out, you see? We can love his law because it's, it's just brilliant. But even better, when we look at the future, it's not just uh, right now. God is working at us in us in such a way That the Ten Commandments also are a promise to us from God. They are not just commands that we've got to work hard to keep. They are promises of what one day will be true in your life. Because God is working in such a way that he says this. You shall have no other gods before me. So there will be a time when you shall have no other gods before me. This will no longer be a problem for you. You shall not murder. In the future, you are no longer going to have any anger problems whatsoever. I promise you, you shall not murder. I promise you shall not commit adultery. I promise you shall not covet. Because when we are in glory, when we are in heaven, 
That work that God begins in us now will be complete. And no longer will we sin. And so we can read these things as promises, which is just so wonderful, isn't it? When we, when we fail and we struggle, we can seek forgiveness. We can ask for the power to live that out right now. But we can also praise God that this will no longer ever be a problem again for any of his people. That's, that's, a, that's a glorious truth, isn't it? And when we read them as promises, how much more can we say, oh, how I love your law, because these are our ways to freedom, but one day I'll be totally free. I'll be living for God without even thinking about it, because my heart will have been renewed in such a way that it will be just like Jesus' heart. That's the hope we have as Christians. And that's why these commandments are not just miserable laws to keep us down. They're promises that God makes us that we will live out in glory forever. And what a better world we would be living in if everyone kept these laws, wouldn't it? But that is the world that we're headed for, heaven, the place where these words are fulfilled completely, not just by Jesus, but by all of us as we have new hearts. So I hope that's whetted uh, your appetite for the Ten Commandments. As we look at each one, uh, we're going to keep that kind of uh, structure. We're going to look how each one frees us because we want to be encouraged to know that this isn't just for our misery but our freedom. We're going to look how we fail in each one, lest any of us think, I don't have to worry about it this week. We're going to look at how Jesus gloriously and miraculously kept each one of these perfectly. And then finally, we're going to look at the future. What does it look like to obey this command right now? And what will the world be like in the future when these things will be completely true in all of our lives? So let's be excited to learn how to live as free people. Let's be thankful that when we failed, Jesus has paid the price for our sin and fulfilled the law on our behalf. And let's be hopeful that God is working in us so that we can live out these commands and one day will do in heaven completely. He has set us free to live free. So let's live free lives truly to the glory of God. How can we do this? Well, we can do that through Christ in me. So let's stand and sing. Uh, our final song, uh, which we learned earlier, which reminds us that we cannot do these things on our own, but with Christ in us, yes, we can. So let's stand and let's worship our Savior together. <laughs>